Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Jonas Karpinen. Jonas, thank you very much for coming on. The Business of Betting podcast is proudly brought to you by the Betfair Hub from Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you want expert articles from pro punters, from building automated models to betting psychology, check out the Betfair Hub. Betfair.com.au slash hub. Gamble responsibly. joined by Jonas Karpinen. Jonas, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to dig, digging into some of these topics that uh, that you've been involved in throughout the years. So as we always seem to do, let's just start with uh, with back to the beginning. How did how did your life start out and, and how did it lead you towards the, the betting and trading world? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I, early in my career, I uh, actually wanted to be a pro golfer, so I pursued that from, I guess, age of 15 or 16 till uh, about 20, um, and that was that was my first love, and I was decent at it, probably could have turned pro, but I think it would have ended up being a grind, I would have been one of those battling tour pros out there, um, and I think I probably came to that realisation when I was about 20, um, and then... I thought, what what next? And I'd always been, I guess, fascinated by numbers and uh, the concept of trying to find edges. So I, I did a quant finance degree at Sydney Uni and from there um, ended up in a, doing a bit of part-time work at a hedge fund, just doing some back testing of, of some strategies. And that was right during the GFC. So it was like a really fascinating time to be in the markets. Uh, and then I guess soon after that, that hedge fund CEO um, introduced me to one of his friends who was running a prop firm. And that's where my kind of my career started. Uh, and then, so I was I was primarily in options market making over that four years, and that was a really interesting space. Um, then, after yeah, about four years into that, the vol volatility uh, really died in the market. So there's was, there wasn't too much opportunity there in that game, at least at that time. So uh, I thought, what's next? And I noticed Bet Three Six Five had opened up an office in Sydney, so I thought, okay. There's a, there are a lot of principles, I guess, that are relevant to bring over from this from the trading world into the betting world, especially from a an options market making side, where essentially you're pricing up the probabilities of of stocks of indexes um, moving through certain levels. Um, you're trying to price, I guess, a, a future probability distribution of of prices. Um, so I got in touch with Bet365 and had a few chats, and uh, long story short, started there re- pretty soon after that. Uh, as in their in-play team, and that was a pretty fascinating role. Um, I was sort of focusing on, I was a generalist plus a golf uh, specialist, if you like, so covering about 15 of the core sports, uh, purely in-play, and then golf in-play. I was kind of the the Asian time zone head of in-play golf, if you like, and that was due to my background in golf. Golf's a really fun, fun sport to try and price in the run because there are so many variables you kind of need to understand the course what what the score distributions are what the players strengths are what the conditions are like you've got incomplete information uh, so that i really enjoyed that in play golf side of things um, whereas the the generalist role was was it wasn't quite as intellectually stimulating if you like but yes i was at 365 for about five years and that was a good stint there and then i guess I thought uh, I was sort of hitting a plateau there just in terms of my development 
and I thought, and I've always been kind of half ambitious, so just wasn't quite getting what I needed there in terms of career. So I decided to just jump out and just have a crack on my own doing various things. Um, and I've been involved in a few projects since then, and I'll go into Edge Alerter in a sec, but uh, been involved in a, a, a crypto project where we tokenized the Perth Mint's gold. So I was involved in that for a few years, consulting to them. Um, I started my own startup, which is a, it's called the Happiest Hour. It's a food and drink specials platform. And then the other project I was involved in is, is Edge Alerter, which I started a couple of years ago. And I guess Edge Alerter, and we'll go that go into that in, in more detail in a sec, but um, that's all about helping helping punters take, do, do a couple of things. One, uh, take advantage of the sport and racing promotions that are out there. We've got quite a, quite a unique model into how we uh, yield edge out of those. Um, that's quite different to many others. And then the second thing is we uh, educate members uh, on a bunch of things, including the numerical component to to betting, and and really how how, how the I'm bringing over a lot of the the principles of of professional trading to betting, so helping members sort of understand core principles there. Uh, the second thing is I've got some training around sort of how the the bookmakers view customers, and that, that's kind of that's quite interesting to know if you're going to take the bookmakers on. It's useful to know kind of what how they view the other side, how they view customers. So that's useful um, information. And the third thing that we educate members on is uh, the psychological component. And again, simple principles from the professional trade, trading world, but um, there are some really core principles there that can help betters as well. So yeah, I guess that's uh, how I've gotten to here. And now Edgeloader is continuing to grow grow quite fast. So uh, I'm focusing more, more and more time on, on that. Jeez, mate, you must be hitting retirement age shortly then with all that. Uh, maybe in terms of blood pressure, um, <laughs> but not age yet. So tell, take me back to the, the quant trading stuff. Oh, sorry, the prop trading stuff, because I just it sounds terrifying that someone straight out of university gets a job at a prop trading firm. And I'm sure they have a million um, redundancies in place, and they're probably not just handing you a bankroll day one, but at that time and maybe even reflecting upon that now did you were you a, a genius were you straight out of the gates knowing everything and knew exactly what to do or was there some form of a form of a learning curve for you when you when you got into that role yeah uh, definitely not a genius maybe i thought i was somewhere towards a genius but you, the the trading world look it's um it it can be really brutal like you can really learn some some humbling lessons very quickly uh i mean out of my, my first role was that analyst role at that hedge fund, and I guess that was a real soft entry into it. I wasn't trading the firm's capital. It was about backtesting. It was about optimizing. So I guess I learned some useful techniques there. But my first prop trading role, yeah, that's certainly high pressure uh, in that it was there was no salary. It's a pure profit split. It's what's known as an arcade model. You get funded. You're on a profit split, and if you um, if you're profitable, then they'll give you more size to trade and you can even justify a higher profit split out of that as well so the way that worked was you know what I've explained there and then it was really a matter of getting trained up on some core core things around how markets how markets move some basics on technical analysis and how that may or may not help uh, and then it was really you just got your your trading ladders in front of you and a mouse in your hand and it's good luck to you do your best um, so that that prop trading role is pretty uh, it, it can be very humbling uh, for, for many people. For those that haven't been in that space, 
would you describe it more on the scale towards gambling or was it is it really structured and organized and plenty of different safety nets and it'd be very hard to get yourself into into a lot of trouble like you could at a casino or racetrack or, or on a sports book if you're left to your own devices? Look, I think that probably the, the best uh, comparison to the betting world would be, and I think it's actually very similar, would be imagine you've got some some people who think they've got some edge in trading trading sport on Betfair, whether it's cricket, tennis, uh, or other sports where there's a really liquid Betfair market. So imagine you give those people a a couple of ladders so you can see the, the order book, you can execute exactly where you'd like very easily. You've got some basic tools around pricing uh, and, and frankly, just letting them letting them go from there and come up with their own theories and ideas, um, trade in and out, you know, whether it's on a really short time frame, basically just do what they can to, to, to uh, generate some, some risk adjusted P&L. That's probably the best comparison to that role. So whether you're doing that gambling or not, uh, probably just comes down to how you define it. And what portion of it involved intuition or involved, you know, that feeling or, or gut feeling or whatever you want to call it, as opposed to, you know, you know, following the rules um, as they can be mathematically or otherwise? Look, gut feels probably a good one to have as an overlay uh, over on top of the like a really structured approach. So in, in my experience, at least the traders that I've seen that have been the most successful and look, markets change all the time. Uh, it really depends on the industry that you uh, that you're trading, whether it's crypto or the traditional world or sport. Um, but in my experience, those that have been the most successful have have a really systematic approach to it. Um, they measure things on a daily, weekly level, uh, and then they overlay that with what you mentioned there, the gut feel component. So if something looks you know too good to be true, perhaps don't go all in on that because you may have missed something. So that gut feel sense check can be quite useful. Um, but it's really important also for most people to have um, a, a, a relatively systematic approach as well. Tell me about day one when you walked in the doors at the corporate bookmaker's office and you might have had expectations, I would imagine, but having some experience uh, at the prop trading firm, was it what you expected or were there some gaps or were you surprised at how sophisticated it was? Yeah, good question. I think um, that... Bet365 have a really good in-play product. They're probably the market leaders in that. Uh, so they do a lot of things really well to be able to create that. Certainly from a from a trading side, from a tech side, they're, they're not where the leading prop trading firms are at. Um, it's it's kind of next level in the trading world. Um, but having said that, they, they're a pretty impressive setup as well. And then when you had those discussions, I'm guessing obviously the experience playing golf made sense. Um, and obviously the experience at the, the firm, you might have had both that feel for the game, let's call it, or feel for what's happening on the, the golf course as well as some of the technical elements that are needed. Did you think that was exactly what you wanted to do and you wanted to, to go and do the golf stuff? Or did you have other ambitions to do different sports or you wanted to move around more broadly and I'm guessing you would have done plenty of that as well but it seems like golf might have been a focus at least from the outset yeah I guess I made I made it clear that golf was a, a, a sport that I was interested in but I was aware that it was going to depend on what where the customer demand was um, where the big flows are and look to be honest golf it's not a very highly bet on sport uh, it's it probably doesn't even show up in the top 30 or 40 bet 
um, most bet on sports in in the run. So because of that, you there's there was le- less of a need for it. So I was hope I guess I I made them aware that that was something that I'd like to do, and I certainly did as much as I could there. They gave me all the the high level stuff uh, or high top tier stuff in in our time zone, but um, then you sort of get it pushed into all the other sports where there's significant demand. Like, yeah, believe it or not, table tennis, as most people know now. <laughs> so when you see some pretty sharp bets coming in or over a period of time, you notice that, whether it's golf or whatever it might be, how do you go about deciphering that? Is it just something that you factor in and when you see those coming in from, from that ID or that person or whatever it might be, um, you just you know factor that into what you're doing through you know manual adjustment let's call it or or is or how do you how do you decipher what's coming in from the punter side because i think there's it's likely that there's punters out there that are probably better overall than you know a corporate bookmaker or the betting market over time so i'm I'm curious how on the bookmaker side you, you factor that in yeah absolutely some customers have uh edge over the bookies on some markets but with regards to sharp betting i think first we need to just quickly to identify you know determine what what a sharp is so sharp better uh, is someone who's suspected of having edge in over the bookies over certain markets. Now, the key word there is suspected because there's an important part to working out a who sharp is, and it's, a, it's not all. It's, a, it's kind of part art, part science. Uh, so you need to take that into consideration. Um, but ultimately, with, with regards to reacting flow, uh, it's all about how confident you are in the price. So obviously, top-tier leagues versus lower leagues, um, there's a big difference there in, in, in your confidence level there. Looking at the liquidity of the betting pools in those markets, obviously the more of that there is, then the less, uh, the, the more, sorry, you're going to respect the market. Uh, then you might even look at your relative uh, edge over pricing something over, over the competing bookmakers um, and, and if you think you've got an edge there. Um, and, and with sharp flow, differentiating that from, from just broader flow, really you're just overweighting its significance uh, or at the very least, respecting it to the point where you'll have another look um, at, at what your prices are, just to sense check things. So another another interesting thing when you, you talk about you know how do you react um, is the mandate of bookies is quite different across the board. So for example, the smaller bookies they'll generally have a mandate to trade trade a far flatter risk profile. So that means they'll be a lot more willing to, to move prices dynamically in order to flatten their book. Whereas the big corporates, essentially they, they're running big casinos that are very, very well diversified. So if they've got a large exposure on game A over there, as long as they're laying the right price, they're kind of happy because they know in the long run that's the optimal way to do it. Uh, then uh, the other thing I'd add is in play is, and that's the, that was the team that I was in, it's, it's pretty unique in that it's so dynamic. Every second, every minute that goes past, there are very various factors that are, or there are various um, yeah factors that are decaying over time. Uh, obviously, all the inputs that go in to the models, um, the model has assumptions. Some of those are you know perfect. Some of those are very questionable. So, I guess as a trader in play, it's it's almost like a quant trading role in that you. you Ideally, you understand how the model works and you understand its weaknesses so that you're able to um, to uh, use that to work out how confident you are in the prices because there are, uh, during games, you'll certainly be far less confident in your prices at certain points, whether 
that's at the coming up to the end of a, a half in soccer where there's some variance around how much extra time there's going to be. Uh, the end of a golf tournament when you've got a couple of holes to go, you've got um, a lot of what's known as gamma in pricing. So a, each shot means a lot of significance in terms of price. So so that's also needs to be factored. So uh, I guess in summary, yeah, you've got a number of factors that come into play when you're trying to solve the problem of what is the optimal way to react to flow. How much did things evolve over those five years when you were there? Was it something that start and end points were relatively similar or was it was it taking giant steps throughout that period, whether it was you know speed of technology, the data, the, the information flow from the market, those types of things, were they really accelerating at that point? I think they made reasonable, um, yeah, reasonable steps forward for sure. It's look, it's a big organisation. They can't move. Uh, they can't be super agile, but they, I think, they made some some good um, headway over that five years. Yeah. What was the, I guess, impetus to leave? I know you talked a little bit about it before, but were there things on the you know tip of your tongue in terms of jumping into next, or was it just one of those things that you know that chunk of time was enough there, and you wanted to move on to the next sort of challenge for you? Yeah, so I guess I um I was on a on a good growth path there, but it was probably more linear than uh, anything else. So I was still relatively young, even though you, su- you suggested earlier that I must be might be close to retirement age. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I was just a bit more ambitious than what they could offer. So I thought I'd have a crack myself. Uh, we left on very good terms. They mentioned I can come back um, if I'd like. But um, yeah, I guess I wanted to have a crack on my own on various projects. So what came next after that? Because I'm guessing with that background and the way the world's heading, um, you know, towards digital and online and the internet and all those types of things, there's probably plenty of options for you. Yeah, there were a few options. Um, I'd been involved in in the crypto crypto world a little bit during my time at Bet365, so I was certainly open to things in that game. Um, that was just before the the real bubble bubble of 17, 18, although that doesn't look like a bubble anymore. Um, that So I was always, I was open to, to opportunities in crypto. Uh, one other thing that I'd been, I'd developed while at Bet365, I mentioned earlier, was a, that platform called The Happiest Hour. So I wanted to give that, got a couple of co-founders on that. We wanted to give that a good push for six months and just get that to a really self-sustainable user level. So that connects people with, uh, we, we, as a, as a, pub owner you download you, you log in and put all your food and drink specials on there and then on the on the customer side you just find all the happy hours and, and food specials in one platform so i want to give that a push so we did that for six months and we got it to about seventy thousand users and that's that's a self-sustainable business now so that was good uh that was sort of got that was my main goal and then i had been involved like i mentioned this the crypto thing so i ended up working for a project that tokenized the perth mint's gold so that project's now been live for a year. So I was just sort of consulting to them. And then the third thing was this, uh, I, I always wanted to try and get back into the betting world in some way. Uh, I thought through my background in, in professional derivatives trading, especially, and then with a bit of a stint in, in betting, there are a lot of principles from the professional trading world that I think can be applied to the betting world. And that's a that's not going to surprise any of you, you, your listeners here. But I thought specifically the just Joe Punter out there who's who's betting on whether it's races or sport, I think there's a gap 
there as far as Joe's unable to find really good unbiased information that has no conflicts of interest. And I'll go through what I mean by that in a sec. So I basically started, uh, I went to the races one day. It was nearly two years ago, just the Randwick races with some mates. And so I saw all of a sudden, you know, half of my friends there, they, they were loading up their betting accounts and just having, just throwing darts. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. Like these guys, mostly really smart guys. They've basically got zero chance of, of being long-term winners maybe there's something that I can just help them, help them with in the next four hours while we have a few beers and have a few bets. And so what I what just intuitively came to mind was these racing promos where you get bonus bets back for second and third. So basically I advise my, my mates to just, if you're going to have a bet, only bet on those and I'll tell them which horse to back. And through some simple odds comparison, I was able to just get them re- relatively close to fair value on most runners and long story short, they sort of followed that, not just that day, for a few weeks and turned you know a few hundred bucks into about $600 or whatever with low variance, importantly. So that I think that that was really the genesis of the idea here with Edge Alert. I thought, well, okay, there's, there's a lot of edge in these promotions if you know what you're doing. There are some smarts around bonus bet conversion. Uh, you can really break down the maths there. So I thought those two things, maybe there's an educational component as well. There could be a product in that. So I basically did a little bit of light marketing and, and within sort of a month I had about 20 paying members and it was just a three-hour Saturday job for me, which which was fun anyway. So basically this initial group of, of 20 paying paying me about 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month. Um, yeah, I, I basically tipped them Saturday races for about a year and that was that was good and that was growing organically. And then over that time, I thought I, I kept getting more and more members just sort of demanding or asking for more more education on how to exactly optimise this system, uh, how to calculate edge in different other, uh, other different markets. Uh, so that got me to build out sort of a, a bunch of education on that. And so things like really simple things, I'm not reinventing the wheel here, but went through things i guess on the educational side there are three parts to it as far as what i've built here for for members on the new there's a numerical part and that's really about how what is how do bookies price markets how do they use margin how do they skew prices how do you translate odds into implied probabilities expectancy like what is expectancy how do you what's markets implied expectancy versus your expectancy um, simple things around sample sizing how that translates to um, actually deriving some sort of signals out of data, uh, stake sizing, the importance of that, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a numerical component. Then the second part of, of what we help members with um, on is is on the bookmaking side, which you mentioned Bet365 and my background there. But so, so I've created some information on how, um, how the bookmakers see customers so through you know some simple things around how they profile how they view lifetime value of customers etc etc and then the third thing that we teach members is on the psychological side of things as well so just simple psychological biases that we have that tend to work against us not for us so it's good to be aware of them so yeah that was um that's kind of how how it grew until sort of mid last year and then mid last year i thought i need to start freeing up my weekends especially saturdays so since then i've uh, or at that point, I hired some some smart guys out of uni who who help with the operational day to day of of Edgeletter. What have you found 
with respect to the the psychology or mentality of, of some of those users, whether it's you know your mates at the racetrack who throwing darts and then want to use a product like this or, or others, because it's one of those things where I mean, even thinking back, you know, a couple of decades ago, the information that was available was rather limited to maybe a radio station, maybe a little bit of a television uh, programming, plus you know the newspaper or whatever it might be. And you fast forward today, where there's podcasts, there's videos, there's Twitter, there's information everywhere. I mean, trainers have their own, you know, outlets where they send information about different horses, and it's pretty crazy. And and either one of those, it's tough to sift through everything you need to to get to the outcome. So, is it one of those things where everyone's yearning for products like this so that they can, I guess, change the way they go about spending their recreational money? Look, there's. You're right. There's a. There's so much information out there. Uh, you could. You could find dozens and dozens of resources that take take you through everything that we take you through. I guess with Edge Alerter, uh, it's so how. But but I think at its core, the the best way to learn not just this but many things is to apply it in a real world setting. So applying these principles in betting is well in any environment, but in in this case betting really bring them to life after a while, you can sort of say, okay, well, right, that's why we, we didn't go all in on that. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, that's why we didn't um, draw too much of a, a signal from just that factor. Okay, right, cool. So after a while of applying a system um, or applying these principles, whether they're these principles or other, um, I think that's where you can really learn and, and embed those concepts in your mind. Um, and I think what's interesting as well, and many of your listeners will be well aware, is that a lot of the principles in betting are very applicable to the the general financial world as well. So kind of going in reverse to what I've talked about, uh, you know, over the last 20 minutes. But yeah, a lot of these principles, as you know, Jake, yourself as well, you can apply to the general investing world. So a, an easy example um, and a common a, a common one, unfortunately, is you'll hear you'll hear of the guy, the hot tipster um, in of stocks. And it's, okay, look, he's tipped something that's up. He tipped Tesla. Oh, he tipped Afterpay at $9. He bought that. And wow, he's made 10x, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, well, hang on a minute. doesn't mean we need to follow him in on his next tips. He's most likely just throwing darts. So so I think being aware of that in the – learning that in the betting sense will make a lot of people just more aware in the in the general financial world. And I guess you could even apply it to a lot of, a lot of principles in the general world as well. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's a tough one because it's been around as long as gambling's been around. And it's still strange. I think if you graphed it out, you wouldn't see a huge spike in terms of uh, people's understanding of those things. It's It somehow cuts pretty deep in terms of our natural instincts to gravitate towards that kind of thing. And that's what makes this tough because I think I've said many times before and, and even written about a little bit in terms of sometimes the sometimes the, you know, boring, low-cost uh, index fund way of investing or whatever the equivalent you want to talk about in horse racing or sports isn't always glamorous and, and maybe that's not necessarily going to attract as many people as the you know high-volatile world of sort of you know mutual funds and, and hedge funds and that type of thing. But if you look into the, even just the very basic numbers of that type of stuff, these hedge funds don't stay around very long and most of them don't stay highly rated for, for more than a, a year or a couple of years. And 
with all that said, it's still crazy that that's the that's the path that many take. And I'm guessing there's plenty of similar similarities when it comes to the the market you're in, and even just some of the market companions, let's call them, that try and occupy this space. Yeah, look, the tipping industry in Australia overall leaves a lot to be desired. Um, sure, there are a few good offerings out there, but the over I'd say over ninety percent easily are operating under false pretenses, or at the very least, they're over promising and under delivering. And we've recently actually done some pretty exhaustive research into the tipping industry, uh, and we found a, quite a few interesting things. So I'll take you through sort of the summary of what we found uh, on the market sizing side. So. You've got around 800,000 Australians following these services. On the tipping provider side, you've got just over 100 of these tipping services, in quotation marks, if you can even call some of them that. Um, of those tipping services, over 20% claim to be Australia's best. <laughs> that is a ridiculous stat in itself. So you've got these false claims flying around all over the place. On the results side, you've got, you've got only 10% of these services actually providing a full track record of their performance. Uh, as we've discussed, I come from a, a trading background and in that game, track record is everything. Uh, the, so, so to see 10% providing a track record of their performance seems quite uh, quite incredible. And many, and importantly, many of those that don't provide a track record, they'll still have a headline figure that they advertise, whether it's we win, we have a strike rate of 40% or 70% or whatever. Like, so you've got all sorts of headline numbers flying around, but when you ask for the data, nearly all of them don't provide it to you. Then the other thing that we found is in, in conflicts of interest, and in particular, if the affiliate model. So the affiliate model is really common in business in general. It's got a, a, a good place in many pockets of business in general. It's very common in, in the betting world, and I think it's quite relevant and, and fine for the most part. However, where the affiliate model should not apply, be applied uh, in the betting industry is with, with regards to tipsters. You, you should not be a tipster and an affiliate. And it's really simple why. The affiliates, they're, they're incentivized and in fact paid um, based on how many losing punters they refer. So they'll get trailing losses of punters. So you don't really want someone who has that, in, that financial incentive to be sending you tips. So that's pretty obvious um, as to why. The other thing we found is, and again, just on the affiliate model, the it's fine if you, look, if you've got a business model and there there might be a, a conflict of interest, it, it's pretty important that you uh, are upfront about that. And that's par for the course, as many will know in the financial, financial world, um, at, at least it's reasonably well so. But um, only less than half of those that are affiliates actually make any reasonable attempt to disclose that. So there are some disclosure issues there. So how does that, so you wrap up all those numbers, what's the end product for, for followers of these services out there? Well, when you size adjust for the number of followers to each service out there, um, based on our research, you've got around 500,000 Aussies following services that, are, that either have no track record or have this affiliates and tipster uh, conflict of interest. So, and look, we get members all the time asking us questions, all sorts of questions. And some of sometimes those questions are about alternative services. And we also get some reports of, of how some of these other others operate. And 
we had one a couple of weeks ago, for example, and this one's is a tipping service, um, and it's it's got over a hundred thousand followers. And one of our members was just asking them how their performance has been historically, and he was. They replied to him and said, "Yeah, we we win at seventy two percent." So the the member just asked, "Well, hang on a minute. What does the seventy two percent mean? Is that is that your strike rate? Is that your ROI? Uh, is it your profit on turnover? What's the what sort of a, a data you know time window are we looking at there and the way the way they responded to him jake was they gave him a thumbs up just a thumbs up emoji and then banned him from the page so you've got that's disgusting you've got um you've also got reports and we hear about these maybe about once every or i'll hear about these maybe about once every month you'll get cases where a member has subscribed to another service a paid service and that then one day that service will just disappear. The Facebook page is gone, Telegram's gone, website's gone, um, and they've already paid them X amount for, for six month membership, whatever. And then not only that, not only do they just disappear, but then they'll, then uh, there are very, a few weeks go past, and then there, there are very strong suspicions that the same, the same guys have just started and started all over again under a different brand. So look, I've got a track, uh, I've got a professional trading background, as you know, and in that game, track record, Track records need to be shown, claims need to be audited, and look, frankly, if you're found to be misleading anyone, then your reputation is dead. So look, the tipping industry, it's got, a, it's got a long way to go here. How much of it is on purpose or like purposeful, you know, ignorance of things? Because I even, if I wanted to convert this podcast and the Twitter feed and whatever else into a tipster, um, I could probably do a decent job, I would imagine, by just being... And I wouldn't say I'm an expert either. I'm, you know, I'm an interested party or whatever you want to say. But I could even now, like I, the NFL's on at the moment. I'm an NFL fan, and there's uh, there's sports books that have no vig or even money. So two dollars in Australia or plus one hundred here in the US, where I could, you know, quite easily just go and bet whatever size bet I want on either side, and I'm going to get my money back. You know, it's literally how the math works. So I could do that, and then after the game, just post the the winning one and. And obviously leave behind the losing one, or I could even some of the the stuff you're talking about about you know money back for first and second. I could probably have a few decent sized bets on some uh, some even money chances in small fields who I think are probably you know likely to to finish in the top couple and and do that type of stuff and and be very sneaky about it. And and obviously if I'm doing that affiliate stuff as well, then the conflict of interest is is you know brought to to life. Is, is it something that? you think is done in a sophisticated way that should be sort of pointed out? Or is it one of those things where maybe it's just naive people that don't fully understand some of these things to the level they should? It's to a degree, but a little bit of both. It's, you know, a little bit of A, a little bit of B, but it's, it's way too, I'm not saying there needs to all of a sudden be regulation in this, but there needs to be, I think education is going to help people get a bit sharper on this it's but but unfortunately deep down people are just gullible in in this game they they want the quick they want quick money they fall for the last tip being a winner so it's really the what i tell members is ask if if you see any other services out there do two things one is ask them if they're an affiliate and secondly ask them for their full track record if you if you can't get answers to both of those questions, then forget about them. If they're an affiliate, be very like really tread with caution there because there's there is a conflict that you need to be aware of. 
Um, so those are really the two most basic things. And then, and then I guess there are various other other components to it as well. As in, like, okay, there might be a tipster up fifty percent in the last month. Well, is that true edge, or were they? Did they just have a lucky run? Um, look, there's a there's a great example of um, maybe it was thought about thirty or forty years ago the way stockbrokers used to hustle customers. So they'd get they'd look at the top hundred companies in the S and P, and they'd um, they'd send stock tips to just randoms and they just drop them off in mailboxes. They they drop ten stock A into the mailbox over there. 10 of stock B over there, et cetera. And then at the end of the year, they'd look at the, the top 10 performing ones and then they'd go back to those and go, hey, guys, remember that letter that I sent you? Um, and they'd convert quite a lot of those. So where, look, there are in this industry, in, t- in this tipping industry, it's there are a lot of hustlers out there and it's um, it's there's a lot of room for improvement. So to anyone out there who's following a service, I'd just say, just ask those two questions. Are you an affiliate? And secondly, can you give me your, your full track record? And then on that full track record, you, you try and work out if that's true edge or not, or have they have they just got two weeks of data and they've they've had a couple, you know, they've had one twenty dollar winner and that's explained all their uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I've heard the Twitter version of that as well, where people just set up ten Twitter accounts and start pumping out some bets, and the chances are one of them is going to do pretty well, and they'll just continue on with that one and, and burn the rest and, and keep doing that over and over until they keep getting sort of their audiences built that way, which is it's pretty scary. Um, do you think it's getting worse? Do you think it's sort of stagnated around where it's always been at? Or what's your impression over the last couple of years, especially of, of how this is going? Look, to be honest, I haven't been that familiar with the tipping service until sort of the last six months in, in which uh, during which I've been researching it. So I don't really have much of a gauge on or finger on the pulse of how it's trending uh, I know that there are certainly some some high name uh, high you know high profile tips is coming into the market now offering really some good systems and some some decent education so they're certainly helping raise the bar but I don't really have a, a finger on the pulse on how how the more general tipping service is trending. One thing okay. I'd say is is that there are some services out there like to your Twitter example that. They'll they'll throw darts for two two months and if they don't perform they they literally just close down their they uh, and start all over again. So there are quite a few of those, which is pretty disgusting to say the least. Yeah, no, I would agree with you on that for sure. So tell me about the psychological component, you know, because I think one of the things that certainly is probably missing in a lot of the bad examples uh, out there is is trying to help each individual with their their betting and gambling. And I think one of the under discussed areas with that is that it, it expands beyond that it expands into like life and how to generate wealth whether it's a small amount or a large amount or whatever you're trying to achieve i like the idea of you know the, the example of um teaching someone how to fish rather than you know just handing over the fish and yeah that's something that i think the benefit of that goes well beyond just any individual bet or any individual weekend of gambling or any individual calendar year of understanding betting and how is that is that something that you focus on is well received or is it something that you let people go and find themselves and they need to be someone who's willing to be curious and wants to dig into those topics further? Cause some of them can be, they can be dry or overall it can be dry, but I do think there's sort of a, a wealth of information out there now around sort of cognitive bias and, and some of the things that we need to try and get on top of. And, and that spreads beyond just our gambling. Yeah, I'd say probably a third of the membership are, are interested in, 
in the psychological component. Um, so, yeah, like as far as when I started this, I thought it would really be about just, look, I've got a system. I've quantified the edge. I've proven it through some results over a statistical, statistically significant period of time. I think I can just that alone, I can most likely, there is a small chance that that was due to luck, very small chance, but I'm pretty confident that that is a system that wins. So that's kind of how I started it. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just tell other people how, you know, what to do and when and what to look for. And that's, you know, I'll try and monetize that. That's kind of how it started. But then, yeah, over time of, yeah, all, teaching them how to fish, I guess, on the model side, like our racing model looks purely at price fluctuations in that last minute. So price and volume data across uh, on Betfair, but across all the corporates, how they're you know moving in that last minute. And we generate signals from that. And we can get basically extremely close to fair value on every tip. We calculate, the model calculates the chances of it running second and third as well. And then it identifies edge of 30% or greater. And when it does that, we send a signal out to members. So that's that's kind of how that works and we're transparent about that to members we're like yep that is how the model works like if you if you want to try and create that yourself go for it but that's how that works then we you know back to again back to you teaching them how to fish we've got some some docs or they're really they're tools but really they're just excel sheets that i've created <laughs> but um these excel sheets they they break down the value in races so it's like okay if it's four dollars there it's 420 on Betfair. The implied probability is X. Blah 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 blah. Look at the late, the 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 market in the place odds. Uh, look at the place market, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We sort of break down the maths of all of how that all works. Um, so a lot of a lot of members are, are doing that on races that we don't cover. So they're you know fascinated by that. And I'd say about a third of members are really fascinated in the real in all that side of things. Then on the um. On the biases side, yeah, um, that's for some that's just not of, of, of no interest at all. But I think uh, maybe there should be more of a push towards this. Someone should, um, whether it's the educational <laughs> providers out there or, or other, I think these cognitive biases play a far more significant role in people's lives generally, but in, in gambling and investment than people realise. Um, so that's probably an area that, will continue to, to develop. Um, and I'll go through kind of the, the main ones that I think um, are, of, are of relevance here. So statistical significance, that all sounds fancy to some, like your listeners will be well aware of what that means, but people just have a tendency to rate rate a tipster or an investment manager on their, their last result or two. Uh, we just we seem to over, massively overweight recent results so that's something to be you know you could call that recency bias so that's something that we all need to be aware of if we're trying to be in this industry as a as, as certainly as a profitable trader um confirmation bias i think is super interesting as well and super relevant we've all got our own subconscious theories as to uh, and hypotheses as to what might happen next and where there might be a mispricing but we tend to we tend to see the evidence that positively reaffirms that more so than the negative the the counter evidence. So we've just got a tendency towards that for some reason, and it's important to be aware of that. Um, loss aversion. I mean, this is really well researched in the in the traditional finance world, but 
basically we derive, and again, your listeners will probably be well aware of this, but we derive less uh, positive utility out of a, say, a hundred dollar gain than we do paying out of a hundred dollar loss. So that's something to be aware of, number one. But then, how do you apply that? Well, I think stake sizing is is a real simple way to uh, to to manage that bias. Um, and then, look, there are a bunch of others uh, that we could go into, but they're probably of less relevance here. Yeah, I think they're all really helpful, and I think it's partly on you know all of us to talk more about these and and assess when they're creeping in. And that's not always that simple, but I think it's getting far better and far more common these days than it was previously i mean i think growing up never heard any of those different concepts or they weren't around as much yet and as sort of you know you get further involved and and deeper into the gambling world and what gets connected to the gambling world or the finance world are some of these things to to help augment that because yeah it really it really opens your eyes once you start sort of applying some of these some of these in the you know the real world it can get pretty dizzying as well when you combine a fair few of them but i do think it's really valuable not just in the gambling context but more broadly and i'd be interested to see how it how it gets applied in the next decade because i think it's probably been it's still in its sort of infancy as it applies you know towards gambling games uh like horse racing and sports especially but i'm I'm curious to see you know these educational platforms these support platforms for punters out there that that do a good job how they're able to how they're able to implement them into the real world so i don't know if you have a sense of that but i do think it's one area that for those that are willing, um, there's plenty of meat on the bone there. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of room for improvement in that. I mean, look, this this sort of educational stuff that we've we've talked about is is probably just as relevant in the in investing world it is in as it is in the the, the gambling industry. Um, is it readily available in a really digestible format? I, from what I can tell, you know, there aren't very many providers of that. Uh, but look, I'm going to focus with this. I think the focus is is on the, the gambling industry. There's a, there's a lot of room for improvement for this industry, the tipping service in particular. Um, and I think the yeah, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a significant overlay of the concepts in the in the gambling industry and the investing world more generally that um, that can be very useful for people, especially in that applied context where where thing, concepts really do, do come to life. So tell me what. What's on the agenda for Edgealerta moving forward? What's you know whether it's in this space or even branching out more broadly in the gambling world? What are you? What's interesting enough to to take up your time? Given obviously your background, there's plenty of different areas and things you've spent time on. But is Edgealerta something that that can be longer term that you can sort of carry forward and expand and grow and will be something you'll be able to focus on fully? So I guess two parts on the tipping side. Things are going really well. The system's um, continuing to perform. We're winning at 30% profit on turnover. Members are averaging over 700 a week in profit, assuming $50 units. We've never had a losing month. Our sharp ratios in excess of 40. So, look, based on those numbers, uh, we're the best tipping service in Australia, and we've got the, the track record to prove that. So, we'll naturally continue to do um, to do that, um, while also looking out for new edges. So. Uh, that's on the tipping side. Then on the education side, and I guess, Jake, we've talked about a lot of these already, but if I was to summarise uh, what we're doing there, the, the goal is pretty simple. We're, we're just empowering our members to approach betting more like a professional trader to increase their chances of success. We've already done a, a solid job of building out this platform of um, tools and education that I've already talked about. 
uh, or touched on, and the members already love that, but we'll, in 2021, we'll really be taking that to the next level. Uh, it's, look, it's a pretty well-known fact that only 1% of bettors out there beat the bookies in the long term. We'd love to push that to more like 10%. Just one final question I want to throw at you is around the difference you're seeing even so far between racing and sport. And I don't know if there's a huge difference in what you're trying to do on either, but have you found people are more interested in sport these days or is racing still pretty dominant and just the way the betting markets structure up? Obviously in sports, it's usually 1v1 type thing, whether it's a tennis match, two players or an NBA game with two teams. But does racing lend itself better towards this type of thing? Or do you think there is a real future now, the way sports is headed and the trajectory of a lot more sporting content out there, that this is something that works just as well on the sports side? Look, look for us, it comes down to what um, what, the, what promotions are out there as well. So because we do focus heavily on those, that's where the huge edge is. So um, it's really driven by that. Um, as far as just general interest, uh, from what we can tell, at least from our members, the interest is probably 50-50 as far as racing and sport goes. But um, as far as just being at the core of what we're doing, we're just identifying where the big scalable edge is. Um, and at the moment, that is a bit more heavily towards, um, heavily weighted towards racing at the moment. Got it. Okay. And how do, how do people try it out? If they want to take a look, what's the best way? Is it the website? Is it through Twitter? If they want to ask a question or two to you, is there a good way to reach out? Yeah, so feel free to get in touch with us on Facebook, Edge Alerter. Um, get in touch on, you can message us on Twitter. Again, the handle is Edge Alerter. You can email us at info at edgealerter.com or you can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Awesome, Jonas. Thank you very much for your time. It was fun chatting about all those different aspects and I wish you very much the, the best of luck with Edge Alerter and hopefully you can uh, help many punters out there. Awesome. Thanks, Jake, for having me. And I just want to say well done on getting your podcast where it is today. Like As we've discussed, the industry is full of noise. So we do need players like yourself out there um, having really good conversations with, with people in the industry to, to keep it moving forward. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir.